Okay, then welcome back to Fast Chip Performance. My name is Tim Davies, dropping the podcast bomb on your personal battlefields today, helping you get better. I've done some writing. I know, I know, I haven't written for ages, have I? Well, I've kind of written stuff, but I've never really kind of published it. And the reason I hadn't published it really was because I was using a WordPress site. And that WordPress site was just taking more in maintenance than anything else. So what I've done is I've gone back to Weebly and it's a drag and drop site, Weebly. And I was there before. Again, my my domain is in transition. So you're not looking at Weebly when you go on there right now. You're probably looking at the, the WordPress site. Uh, but what I'm going to lack in like professionalism and, and presenting and how the presence of WordPress are gaining functionality back with Weebly. Now, I'm not selling anything for Weebly, but I do have a referral code. And if you're thinking of doing a Weebly site, then... Use my code because you get a discount, I get a discount. I think it's in the show notes. I'll try and drop it down there like it's hot. So I remember when I was younger, my father told me a story. And uh, it was about when he was a firearms officer and he was going through training. And so I thought I'd write about it. And I was on a train the other day into London for big meetings that I normally have. And so I wrote some stuff down. And then what I do is I walk away from the writing uh, it's about 11 minutes, this. And uh, then I go back to it after a few weeks and I adjust it. And that process is ongoing with many different essays at the moment. And I've kind of wrapped this one up and I want to get it out. and I want to just get it done. So that's why I'm putting it out today. I'm going to read it for you. Why not? And uh, and then we'll just talk about something at the end, which is quite interesting about how um, I think it's people that deal within high performance for their careers. Um, why by 40, the age of 40-ish, they're pretty much washed up, washed up um, despondent, and and want to do something else. So we'll cover a bit of that at the end, but only briefly. Okay, so I'm going to read this essay to you. Now, unfortunately, it's about my father, and I can't do his accent because he did when he got angry. He had a the kind of Welsh accent, and I can't really do it. I can remember it because he used to chase me around the house with a big belt and smash me up. But you know, when he was uh, when I'd obviously done something wrong. But um, I don't, I can't really do his Welsh accent. I'm not going to try. I've also changed the names of another police officer here. Um, and the person I refer to from the special forces, uh, I don't know which special forces unit he came from. Okay, I just want to say that now. I just know there was someone there advising the team back in the eighties. It must have been. Let's talk about it anyway. So the title is "Don't Die at Work: How to Banish Boredom and Anxiety." Uniformed police officers wearing body armor and carrying Heschler and Koch MP5 submachine guns pulled tightly into their shoulders, stepped silently through the busy supermarket's doors. It was a hot and humid July day on the south coast of England. People were going about their weekly shop and the smell of cheap sunscreen hung lazily in the air. The store's tannoy was calling for someone to help at the checkout and people were busying themselves, taking items from the shelves and placing them into their baskets. Some of the shoppers who saw the two men enter stopped and just stared, their eyes following their movement with a sense of foreboding curiosity. Others seemed oblivious to what was about to happen. The policemen aimed down their sights. Wherever their eyes went, the barrel of the weapon would quickly follow. With each purposeful, yet muted step, they slowly drifted apart as they made their way to the back of the store where the target had last been reported. People would later report a strange sense of calm that accompanied the men, a professionalism or a seemingly innate confidence. They would also later note that these men were not as young as they would have expected. These guys must have been in their 40s, their grey hair complementing their darkened and sun-wrinkled skin. Stand still, stand still, came the shout from the first officer as he focused his weapon on a young man holding a box of breakfast cereal. 
Show me your hands, both hands. Drop the box and show me your hands, demanded the second man. Someone screamed. People started to run. The officers continued to move deliberately towards their target, their demands getting louder and all the time, never once looking away from the sighted picture of the young man's chest, the greatest centre of mass and the preferred landing ground for a 9mm parabellum bullet. Drop the box. Do it now. Show me your hands. As the demands increased, so did the activity of the mystified shoppers. Like confused sheep, they ran in all directions. Some crashed into each other, whilst others just stood and watched, their bodies rigid from witnessing the unfolding drama. The young man's face was a picture of utter surprise. One minute, he was a teenager, casually picking out some breakfast cereal, and the next, he had two old guys pointing guns at him and shouting. Suddenly, he released his grip on the box, and as it dropped to the floor, he lifted the front of his shirt and pulled out a small pistol from the waistband of his shorts. It's not real, he cried. His advice went unheeded as the first of four rounds slammed into his chest. A 9x19mm parabellum cartridge is relatively low-powered when compared to those in rifles found on the modern battlefield. The bullet leaves the barrel of an MP5 at just over 1,000 feet per second. This means that it tends to remain lodged in the target's body as opposed to travelling through it and potentially striking an innocent bystander. On impacting the young man's chest just above and to the right-hand side of the sternum, the first round penetrated the skin and immediately smashed through his ribcage, sending bone fragments deep into the chest cavity and the sidewall of the heart. The chest bone altered the bullet's trajectory, deflecting it upwards and into the right lung, sending it tumbling and creating a permanent cavity of crushed and lacerated tissue. It may have been survivable had the next three rounds not come crashing into the man's chest soon after, further destroying precious tissue and ripping through his vital organs. Very soon, hypervolomic shock caused by severe blood loss would prevent vital organs receiving the oxygen they so desperately needed and the injuries would prove fatal. Well, that was the intent at least. Cease fire, came the command from the back of the hall. That's it guys, listen to my commands, make your weapons safe, Unload, show clear. And with that, the lights came on in the firearms kill house and the weapons were cleared for inspection. Another training exercise complete, another debrief about to begin. As the two men made their way back to the armory, they gave each other a knowing look. It's going to be the same again, said the taller man. How did you find it? I don't know, I just felt the same. I can't do anything about it, the short one replied. Well, came the reply, we both don't need this. I'm happy to just stay on the traffic cars with you. We don't need guns in the vehicle at our age and as they made their way back to the debriefing room. Both men laughed about how much of a struggle their fitness test had been earlier in the day and how the taller guy had put his back out from doing too many sit-ups. They both agreed that they were getting old, and they were feeling it. It felt good to laugh about themselves, and they agreed. If they had failed the final test, they planned to go to the nearest police club bar and sink a few beers to commiserate anyway. The truth was that my father and his partner didn't really want to be firearms officers in their constabulary. They had been asked by the chief constable because of their previous military service and because he felt that their, his current firearms officers were just all a bit too young. No matter how much they stated their reluctance, the chief was a drinking buddy and had talked them into taking the course anyway. You know, just to see how they got on. Davies, Johnson, get in here and sit down. I need to talk this through with you, called out the instructor in the darkened debrief room. Oh no, they thought. Not again. 
And as they took their seats, they saw the familiar map of the kill house on the board and next to it, recordings of their heart rate and other data points taken during the exercise. Now, back in the late 80s, the collection of fitness-based biometric data, the physical, physiological, and behavioral characteristics of a person wasn't an easy thing to do. The devices people would wear would become cumbersome, require leads to be stuck on the body to sample heart rate and perspiration. Smartphones didn't materialize until the early 90s and Bluetooth wasn't invented until 1994. So back then the whole thing was mechanical and embryonic. In any case, apps and fitness tracking was still some 25 years away. So the data the two men had provided in the kill house was still being analyzed by their instructor as they took their seats. My father was an average sized guy. His hair was a bit gray around the edges, a smoker and someone who enjoyed the odd pint or four with his friends. His partner, Tom, was a wise man, tall and of a heavier build, the kind of guy to be into hydroponics or to read books on the breeding patterns of the pygmy marmoset. Although they were cut from different cloths, they had crewed traffic cars together for far too many years and understood each other well. There was something about them that both, that just led criminals to stop what they were doing and come quietly. Not that the two men were menacing at all, but my father's deep Welsh authoritative accent would command respect from even the most hardened of criminals on the dark, cold roads of southern Hampshire. And Tom, well, Tom would just use this superior logic to just out-reason you, plain and simple. I'm not going to lie to you guys, it's not looking good, and I'm worried about it again, said the firearms instructor as he stared at the charts. Your footwork, communication, and drills are all sound. Kid pulls a gun, kid dies, we'll get it. But that's not the issue, is it? He concluded. Is Chris still a pathological killer? Joked Tom as he nudged his partner on the shoulder. You can shut it, Tom, came the reply. Look at your chart, you're worse than me. Laughter filled the room. They'd been in this position before and the situation was seemingly hopeless yet again. Look, chuckled the trainer. Have a cigarette, guys. Calm down. We're going to get to the bottom of this one way or another. My father stood up and approached the board. Accepting a light from the instructor, he took the smoke deep into his lungs and began to study his data. There was no doubt about it. The more intense the experience the killhouse delivered, the lower his heart rate sank. In fact, all his and Tom metrics were the exact reverse of the younger firearms officers. No wonder the staff were having issues with the two men. Their arousal levels were flatlining the closer they got to the delivery of extreme violence. Tom, my father asked, looking at his partner's statistics. Do you ever sweat? I mean, like, ever? I do when your wife invites me into your house, you come home early, he snapped back, prompting more hilarity from the three men. As their laughter filled the room, it attracted the attention of another firearms instructor who knocked once before entering. Guys, have you solved your issues yet? He asked, looking quizzically at the two men. No, Tom replied. Still crazed killers, unfortunately. Right, continued the interjector. Grab some lunch and be back here for 2pm. The chief's got a guy from the regiment coming down. He says he thinks he knows what's going on with you muppets. And with that, the morning was over. <clears throat> right, so after many years as a flying instructor on military fast jets, I regularly found myself entering a state of calm whilst airborne. But only when I was doing something challenging that also required a high level of ability. I couldn't understand it at the time, but I would sense a gradual reduction in my attentiveness as if my actions were becoming automated. It would happen on complicated incident approaches in poor weather or at night and in highly dynamic air combat sorties with multiple aircraft and confusing communications. It concerned me because at the time, I didn't understand what was happening. 
I slowly became a low arousal pilot, but always seemed to remain in high levels of control. This signaled the start of my interest in high performance psychology, and I eventually mentioned it to a doctor who just felt I should take a break. It was during this time that I learned of my father's own story. And a few years later, after his death, I met another police officer I used to work with and asked him if it was true. Oh yes, he laughed. He and Tom just enjoyed killing people, I guess. It was my father who explained to me the rest of the story. A little before 2pm, my father and his partner returned to the briefing room area attached to the kill house training facility where they met their instructor and another man. Chris, Tom, this is Dan. We invited him down from Hereford. He thinks he knows what's wrong with you idiots. I'm going for a tea. I'll leave it to him to explain. Have fun, said the instructor casually as he left the room. Guys, the reason your heart rates are low is precisely because your skill levels are high and the challenge is too. This puts you into a state of flow. The room was silent as the men embraced the new information. Flow was a new concept at the time and it was being studied by only a small number of specialist teams such as special forces instructors who'd learnt about it through their military psychologists. Seeing the blank expression, Dan continued. Having read your reports over lunch, I'm convinced that you guys are probably just more highly skilled than the younger guys. This means that they will be in a state of heightened arousal, but you guys will have entered a state of flow. Your instructor tells me that you're both ex-military, which is what I'd expect to see from guys like you. It's not unusual, so don't worry about it. Both men nodded, my father lighting another cigarette and passing it to Dan. Cheers, Chris. Look, here's the deal. If you're highly skilled but with limited challenge, then you'll find yourself in a state of control. This means that you're in charge of the situation because you know you are competent in what you are doing. However, if the challenge is high and you lack the necessary skills to fully deal with it, then you'll be anxious or aroused. And we see this in our special forces recruits when they first start training. The key with you two guys is that you do have a high skill level from your previous military training and your mind is embracing the high level of the challenge. This means that you descend from the high state of arousal and you climb from the high level of control into a flow state. Right, my father replied. And that's a good thing? Yes, replied the visitor. In psychology, a flow state is called being in the zone and is the mental state in which a person performing activity is fully immersed in feeling of focus, full connection and satisfaction in the process of the activity. After Dan's explanation, my father and his partner were both cleared for firearms duties and went on to crew arm response vehicles for the next few years until they packed it in as the ages got the better of them. Now, when you are in a flow state, an everyday experience such as making a cup of coffee or writing an essay becomes an opportunity for enhanced self-fulfillment. What the Special Forces instructor was talking about was the work of a psychologist called, I'm going to get this right for you guys because I've actually learned how to pronounce his name, he's Hungarian, uh, and how you pronounce it is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. So there you go, I'm not going to spell it for you, a bit of a mare. But this guy was a renowned social scientist and devoted his life to the study of what makes people happy satisfied and fulfilled. His findings show us ways we can lessen stress, fear and anxiety and increase feelings of happiness, joy and excitement. Flow also helps to increase our concentration levels, mental agility and promotes health 
and longevity. It helps us to live in the moment, or as the 1970s spiritual teacher Dan Bass, sorry, Ram Das would pose, to be here now. To attain a flow state, your skills and ability have to match the challenge that is set. If the challenge outweighs your skills, you will feel anxious and aroused. This is why we often feel nervous when we start a new job or sign up to a new gym. We just don't know what to expect. In fact, this area of anxiety depicts a new pilot's life quite aptly. They are very much challenged, but are yet to develop the skills to deal with it. However, if your skill level is high, but the challenge is low, then you'll just get bored. And this is often why pilots stop flying. The flying eventually becomes routine, but the pilot skills are now high. So boredom sets in. So next time you feel anxious or bored, have a think about what is challenging you and how prepared you feel to tackle it with your current ability. And if that challenges a couple of armed police officers with a sighted picture of your chest area when you're buying breakfast cereal at a local supermarket, trust me, the challenge you face far outweighs your skills. Guys, that's the end of this. I want to just cover something in a minute. But also, if you want to know how you can enter these flow states in your workplace whilst also banishing self-esteem and negativity issues whilst boosting your integrity and your purpose, then contact me, Tim, at fastshipperformance.com and to talk about my 10-week spin recovery program. It is four figures, but it's going to just make your life so much better. You're going to earn all that back. You know it's true. There's a quote by Johnny Wilkinson at the bottom from the English rugby team. I'll let you see that, though, when you click on the essay. Right, um, what I want to talk about briefly, um, I do present a lot around the country. So if you want me to come into your workplace and present, I'm exceptionally reasonable. I think you'll find. Anyway, there's something... Well, I'm presenting... The reason I said this, I'm presenting at a Formula One team this week. And one of the things I'm going to cover is... Um, I'm going to talk about their Junior Drivers Academy. And what happens to drivers is the same thing as um, pilots... Uh, what happens by the age of 40, normally mid-30s for pilots and, and race car drivers, I guess, in F1, uh, is you end up, this is exactly what I'm talking about, where the challenge is exceptionally high from day one. That's the whole point. So let's not talk pilots. Let's talk race drivers. They go into these race series and there may be another 26 drivers on the grid. It might be karting. It might be um, Formula Ford, whatever it is. But, you know, they, they, the challenge is a big one. Parents pushing them the whole time. Parents, helicopter parents, living through their children, of course, applauding the kids when they do well and then chastising the kids and telling them how they can do better when, of course, they don't. That all adds up. And what it does, of course, is the challenge is right up there. Their skill level is really low at this time because they're learning. Where are they? Top left of um, uh, the graph, of course, by that psychologist. And that is top left of that graph is anxiety. So that, they are living in anxiety. Young pilots going through military flying training as well, living in anxiety, I know it taught them long enough and I was one myself and that's where I lived in anxiety. Now, that challenge always stays that high, by the way, pretty much, you know, obviously as you're going through your flying training or as you're going through um, the Young Drivers Academy in any one of these F1 teams, it's always up there. It's a big challenge. You're fighting against other drivers. Now, of course, in doing so, your skill levels get better. That's the whole point. So then you start going to the right of this graph. Challenge is still there. Skill level's getting up. You move into arousal. You're now aroused. That's a better place to be. And then what you're, what will happen as well is the challenge will become a little bit less for you probably because your skills are going up. You'll drop down into a state of flow. Now, that state of flow is where things become automated. It frees up capacity. It frees up um, or reduces cognitive overload. So it, it frees up all cognition. It allows you to perform at a higher state. 
Now, if you hit that at the right time in your career, you can do very well. If you hit it at the wrong time, you're not. That needs to be managed, okay? These anxiety levels, these arousal levels need to be managed. But that's what coaches and training teams are there for. Now, what happens, of course, your skill level is getting higher, higher, higher. Uh, but what's happening is the challenge is getting less and less, especially as you move up. You might be doing well. You might be coming third or second, or you might be leading um, uh, the, the world championship or whatever you want to call it. But what happens if the, if the challenge isn't there and it does drop down because your skill levels are getting higher, you'll come out of that flow state and you'll drop down into something called control. Now, you're in control. What that means is you've got a high skill level. The challenge is getting less. You feel in control of it, but you're not in a state of flow. So now you do have cog cognition issues. And then what will happen, of course, is the challenge level gets even less and your skill levels grow even further. You'll become into a state of what's called relaxation. And people die in that state all the time, okay? It's a good time to get out flying before you get in that state. And if your skills do fade, you end up bored. And that's at the bottom of the curve there is boredom. So I, there's a graph on the uh, essay that talks about that. There's another one that's a bit simple where it's literally got the flow channel working through the middle of anxiety and boredom. And again, anxiety top left, boredom bottom right. Challenges are the vertical axis, skills are the horizontal one. As the challenges increase, you go up the graph into anxiety because your skills are low. As your skills increase to the right and the challenges come down, you get into a state of boredom. This is why people leave these jobs in the end. And it normally happens after about 20 years, about 40. I left flying at the age of 43. Your brother still flies, he's in his early 40s. Uh, yes, he is just 40. Um, with an airline in, in the Middle East. Um, speak to him sometimes, yeah, it's a different world, isn't it? You're not landing Hercules on the beach anymore. You know, you're literally in an 11-hour trip in a 777 talking to a captain you don't know and you haven't met before. He's embracing it, loves the lifestyle, but how long is that going to last? Do you see what I'm saying? His skill sets are high. Is that challenge high? I doubt it's high. I doubt it's high. So now he's going to drop down into that boredom area. So the key is to work out, especially with these young drivers, how do we keep them in that flow channel? How do we keep that challenge high enough and that skill high enough to keep them into that flow channel? Guys, I wanted to just um, talk you through that. And I just want to make sure in the notes I've actually got. Yeah, so I, I, I'm going to speak to this, this team about this. Um, I call it the curse of the ambitious young. Yeah, or the curse of the ambitious youth, as it were. Because basically, when, when you are young and you're embracing those challenges, but you are unskilled, so you're like, I want to be a race car driver, um, you're going to live in a life of anxiety. Eventually, you're going to become skilled through time as you drift into flow. And then the challenge never really changes because it's always been there. And eventually, you know, you've selected a harder challenge from day one. You drop down into the, the, the boredom area. Now, this is why race car drivers retire, of course. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty obvious thing. That's why I retired from flying. So the key is to acknowledge that, to, to get people out of those jobs and put them into different areas and then to mentor the young people coming up. Anyway, guys, that's it for the essay. How long was that? I'm using different systems now. I literally have just upgraded my, uh, I use a Mac. I'm using Logic Pro X for this. I've just put it on Mojave or something. Also, if I'm mentoring you and coaching you or you're in one of my programs I'm running or you want to be in one of the programs I'm running, it's pretty cool. Uh, I've got offices in Birmingham now. So I kind of work out of Birmingham mostly. It's nice and easy to get to. My office is four minutes walk from Birmingham New Street. If, um, if you want to be coached by me, get in contact, Tim at Fast Jet Performance. If you want to enter the Spin Recovery Program, I'm writing two more programs, by the way, but the one I'm running at the moment, Spin Recovery. Uh, next one starts 26th of January. I think that's right, about 26th. Um, there's, I'm not doing the whole scarcity thing, guys. I don't take more than six people at a time on this program, all right? Because we keep it close. We've got um, rewards. We've got uh, incentives. Everything is about uh, buddying up, getting your stuff done. And, and it's actually quite a good one because it's starting in January. So your whole year can be fixed around this. So that's a spin recovery program. 
You want information on it? Tim at Fast Shit Performance. I'll send you information. Have a read of it. Get on a call with me. We'll talk it out. Again, uh, if you're around Birmingham and you want to drop in and see me, uh, have a chat about something, maybe talk about some coaching, again, Tim at FastShipPerformance.com. Guys, hope you enjoyed the essay. Give it a week and my website will transition to a better one, okay? And then you can go and read it, all right? Thanks so much. Really appreciate your time. Tim Davies, Fast Shit Performance.